me get my papers here. Let me get my phone here. Get everything out. And let me just think we're good. Mia. No, I don't need the whiteboard. Do I? No, I don't need the table. All right. Let me see here. Oh, you're ready. Okay. Sorry. Sorry. Yikes. That was awkward. Sorry. How many of you like waiting? Does anybody like waiting in here? So, so some of you like waiting. I hate waiting. I can't stand waiting. The only thing that I have a toss up between do I hate waiting more or do I hate making other people wait? Who just hates being late? Like you feel bad or maybe it's not that you feel bad for other people, but you're just like, I look bad, my reputation, right? It's more about you than about the other people, right? I totally, totally get that. And the reason why I would rather be the person who's waiting on somebody else is because you can kind of control the atmosphere of the meeting, right? So you invite somebody to a meeting or they schedule it with you. I really have to talk to you about something. And you show up at Starbucks and you're sitting there and you're waiting and you're waiting and you have time to process. You're like, hmm, they're a few minutes late. I feel a little bit superior because I was here 10 minutes early. So I could either be real gracious Right? And I could be like, oh, no, no, I know you have a ton of things going on. It was the kids. I know. I know it was the kids. Don't worry about it. Or if you're in a mood, you could give them the look. It's fine. Just sit. Let's just get started. It's, let's just put this behind us. It's fine. Like really disappointed but not saying it. Or you could just be really upfront. You're wasting my time. So thank you. Let's, are you ready to go? Great. Thanks so much. So you get to kind of control it, right? I hate making people wait. You know who doesn't mind making us wait? God. He doesn't mind at all. He's not phased by it. He's not going, I hope that they like you know, I hope they're okay. He doesn't mind at all making us wait because he sees the beginning from the end, doesn't he? We're continuing a series called God, Are You There? And today we're going to talk about when God seems late. Like I said, I hate when I schedule something with someone and I'm the one walking in late. And I also hate when they schedule it with me and they're late. But out of all of the late sins that I can be annoyed with, none are more dangerous than the, being the person that is responsible for my food being late. <laughs> I have always loved food. I have always been particular about my food. And just like an animal in the zoo, I have always been particular about my feeding schedule. It's important, and pregnancy has aggravated this for me. Just skyrocketing, I need to eat now. I tell my husband, baby, I just said two seconds ago I need to eat, and there is not food in my hands? Are you kidding me? You couldn't have, like, read my mind? It's ridiculous, right? If you invite me to dinner, and you offered to cook, and when I get there, you're still cooking, I love you, but that's the first and last time I'm going to be over there. Because you said dinner was at 6. If what you meant was, come over at 6, dinner will be ready at 6.30, totally fine, but say that. I'll eat a granola bar in the car, waiting in your garage, and then I'll get inside and we can have a nice time. 
And it must run in the family because I actually looked through past group texts to prove this, okay? It runs in my family. This is an actual text from my father. So you guys know that, well, many of you know, that every single Sunday night, religiously, my family gets together for family night. I encourage that. If you haven't been doing that with your family, it's awesome. My parents started it when we were itty-bitty, and now we're all married, and we all get together with our kids, and it's awesome. It's a really, really good time. This is a text from my dad. Mom and I will make dinner for family night. Come over at 5.30 or after. Food will be ready between 5.30 and 6. Now that is a dinner invitation. I know when I'm expected to be there. The pressure's off because it's a window of time, right? It's not an exact time. So if I get there in between this and this, I'm not late. I'm not early. I'm there on time. And best yet, I was given a block of time that wasn't a two-hour window that's completely unacceptable. It was a fair and modest 30-minute window where I can expect to be fed somewhere in there. That's a dinner invitation. Now, I know what you're thinking. Gosh, all these people are giving her free food, and she's, like, complaining about the wait time. That's fair. Let's talk DoorDash. Anybody? Anybody? If my $7 Happy Meal that I paid $47 for, <laughs> arrives 30 minutes late, I think I'm entitled to a discount, right? I feel like DoorDash, if you're listening, whoever you are, I, Mr. DoorDash, I feel like the number of minutes that the driver is late should be the percentage that I get off. I think that's the discount that we should start doing. The reality is, there are a lot of us waiting for God to do something. You're praying, and there are a lot of you waiting and, and believing that God's going to do something. You know he can, and yet he hasn't. And, and you're like, why doesn't God do something? I don't know about you, and I don't know what you're going through, but according to our church network prayer list that I went over this last week, it might be a financial challenge. It might be a job need. It might be a medical issue or a relational issue. You've seen him do it in other people's lives, so like all of us, it kind of pumps you up, right? You're like, he did it for them. I know he can do it for me. So you have faith. That's not the issue. And yet God doesn't do what you think he should do. So you end up waiting. And it's really hard, and it's really awkward. Waiting to find that special someone. Or when you find that special someone and you get married, then waiting to have a, a baby with that special someone. Waiting for God to provide the right job. Waiting for God to do a miracle in a relationship. Waiting for a house to sell. Waiting for a child to come back to Jesus. Waiting for a miracle in some kind of physical situation. Whether the doctors have given you a, a really bad report or there's just no hope. You believe God could do something about your need and you're praying for his help. And yet God has not done anything about it. You wonder, God, why aren't you doing something? Why are you making me wait? They didn't have to wait. If you're taking notes, an important nugget today that I want you to get and take away from this is a waiting season is never a wasted season. I want you to turn to John chapter 11. And while you're turning there, let me give you some context tonight. We're going to look at a really powerful story. I love this story because I have sisters, and this story is about sisters. Uh, we're talking about two sisters, Mary and Martha, and their brother, Lazarus. 
Something special about these sisters is uh, they were really, really close, had a deep personal relationship with Jesus. In fact, in Luke's gospel, there's a story about Jesus coming over to their house for dinner. Could you imagine being able to say that? Like when we all go up to heaven and we're, you know, they're like, yeah, I, I had a relationship with Jesus. Yeah, me too. We all do. That's why we're here. And they're like, no, no. He ate my lasagna at my house. Like he was there and he liked it. So did you make dinner for Jesus? I don't think so. Anyways, to me, it's a funny story because Martha is a lot like some of you. I know some of you. She's a little uptight. Okay. Everything has to be perfect. And when Jesus comes over, she's cooking and cleaning and trying to be the best host that she can be for this dinner that they invited Jesus to. Meanwhile, Mary's just chilling, doing nothing. And Martha's like, Jesus, tell her to get off her lazy butt and come help me. She hasn't done a single thing since you walked in. She's hogging you. That's what I would have said. Some of you, you know, you're more like Martha. It's got to be perfect. Others of you, I also know you. And you're like Mary, and everything's fine. Lived in is better. It's comfortable. Don't stress. It's just a little mess. I made that one up. I thought that was a pretty good motto for your house. All right, the point is, Jesus came to their home and ate at their table. I don't know about you, but when I invite somebody over or when they invite me over and we break bread together, I feel so much closer to them, right? You got inside jokes and things that you can talk about. You feel closer to them. So the point is they were super close with Jesus. This is really important before we get to the next part of the story. Because when their brother Lazarus got sick, they fully expected Jesus to heal him. Like there was no question about it. It wasn't, I wonder, it was obviously he's going to do this for us, right? I, I mean, this is what he does on the daily for com complete strangers. Obviously, there's no question he's going to come over. He's going to see that Lazarus, his friend, is sick, and he's going to do what he does best, heal. It just makes sense. But God doesn't always make sense. Let's look at John chapter 11. We're going to read the first three verses together. This is my first time reading from the screen, so I'm going to do my best here. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. Notice how intimate they were with Jesus. They didn't even have to say Lazarus's name. They're just like, your best friend is sick. That's how close they are. And there's no doubt in their minds that Jesus is going to come and help Lazarus. Yeah, we're worried about Lazarus. Or we're worried about our brother. But Jesus is healing all these people. So we know he's going to come back and heal our brother. So they wait all day and Jesus doesn't show up. And they wait the next day and he doesn't show up. Then the next day, he still doesn't stop by. He doesn't send someone to tell them, I'll, you know, I'll be right there. He doesn't text them, be there soon. He doesn't heart some of their pictures that they posted of Lazarus sick in his bed. He doesn't do any of that on Facebook. So now they're likely getting a little frustrated, don't you think? I mean, put yourself in the story. Chances are they do a little bit of what I sometimes do. And I don't know if you do this, but sometimes it's almost like I start trying to remind God of why he should do something for me. I'm like, God, but I, I go to church. God, I, I volunteered at that event. I, I apologize to that person. 
I deserved the apology, but I initiated it. God, come on. I read my Bible every day. What more do you want from me before you'll finally give me this one thing? And if you're feeling that way, remember, with God, a waiting season is never a wasted season. For those of you who are waiting right now, you're praying for something, you're believing for something, and you have faith that God could do it, and yet he's not doing it. I want to give you just two things to remember today that I hope will build your faith in the middle of this waiting season. I want to pause for a second, because sometimes that's not what we want to hear. When I go to church, I'm expecting the preacher to be like, here's how we fix your life. Buckle up, open up some notes, let's change this. And that's not how it works. Your job isn't to change it. Your job is to ride the waves believing that our great and mighty God is going to see you through whatever situation you're going through. So number one, God's delays are not necessarily God's denials. God's delays are not necessarily God's denials. Thank you, Pastor Trin. I'm actually, I'm a visual person. Just because God hasn't done it yet doesn't mean that God's not going to do it. Just because he hasn't answered your prayer now doesn't mean he's not going to answer it later. In fact, let's read on in verse 4. This is what Jesus says. When he heard this, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. In other words, I know this is going on. Like, I'm, I'm aware and I'm still in complete control. And when you get to the end of this story... When you finally reach the other side, you're not only going to see that there was a purpose for it, but you're going to see me, Jesus, glorified through it. You never wanted this to happen. You never saw it coming. It wasn't a part of your grand plan, but I will be glorified through this. Sometimes you might experience what's called a divine delay. I know that I have many times in my life. It's this God-orchestrated delay. See, God may do what you want. I think we've all had a few things that God has given us that we've asked for. But he's not going to do it right now because he has a different purpose. In fact, I would argue all day long that a lot of times God wants to do something in you before he does something for you. Can anybody testify to that? You remember a time? Hallelujah, me too. Mary and Martha are like, you got to come, Jesus. you got to be here. You've got to heal him. We need you now. And time goes by, and Jesus still hasn't arrived. But they're still sure he'll make it on time. Because he's Lazarus' friend. I mean, friends are there for each other. And then Lazarus dies. So much for the praise report they were expecting to give on Sunday. Where's God in this? Jesus is out healing Roman soldiers, the very people who are persecuting others, the bad guys, the people that we don't even like, and he doesn't heal his best friend? It doesn't make sense. So what do we do when God doesn't make sense? 
Eventually, Jesus gets there. But by the time he finally shows up, it's too late. They had the funeral. They wrapped up Lazarus' body and put it in the tomb. And the body's been there for a whole day. And then another day, and another day, and another day. And Jesus finally shows up, and I don't blame him, Mary and Martha take it personally. Not only didn't you heal him, but you're not even here to comfort us in our mourning. You missed the funeral. This doesn't make sense at all. Let's read verse 17. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. I don't really like to think about it because it's kind of sad if you've lost someone and it's also kind of icky, but, but it's true. This is important context in the Bible. What does a body start to do after four days? It starts to deteriorate, it starts to decompose. Four days. This is really, really significant. And the reason is because people in the first century believed in this superstitious kind of belief that for three days after the person dies, the spirit would hover over the body. And so for those first three days, they believed that the spirit would be close enough to the body that some kind of miracle could happen. There was still hope, and that's why they didn't do anything with the body for the first three days. They waited. But by day four, they believed the spirit was gone and there was no hope. The loved one was gone for good, and they would lay the body to rest. Jesus waits until after this. Oops. And Mary and Martha took it personal. And when Jesus is late for you, so do you. So do I. You're waiting on something and it's not happening. The bills keep increasing, but your pay stays the same. How's that fair, God? You're fighting for your marriage and praying that your spouse will start fighting as hard as you are. You just want to be happy. But every day the depression catches you off guard. And the desire to do anything but just lay in bed all day just goes away completely. You're praying for a miracle and you know God can and yet he doesn't. I stand here today, friends, as an ambassador for Jesus to remind you God's delays are not God's denials. That's number one. Number two, if God always met your expectations, he'd never have the opportunity to exceed them. So watch this. We go from verse 17. Could you put verse 17 back up on the screen, please? Awesome. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. No hope whatsoever. The story is done. But let's jump to verse 23. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. There's hope there. But Martha's confused. She doesn't get it, and I'd probably be the same way as her. See, here's how she responds um, in verse 24. Let's read the next verse. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. She's like, yeah, I know. We'll, we'll see him in heaven one day. You're right. Thanks for the comforting words, Jesus. You always know what to say. And he's like, no, you don't get it. He died, and you didn't want that, but I also know that you think that's the end. Well, you thought wrong, because let's read verse 25. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. In other words, I need you to see the lesson in this, Martha. I need you to pay attention. 
See, you thought the resurrection would be an event. The resurrection isn't so much an event as it is a person. I am the resurrection. With me, death no longer has the final say. Death is not the end of the game. You see, when I die for your sins later on, whenever you put your faith in me, even though your physical body may die, you will get to be with God forever in heaven because I am the resurrection and the life. If God always met your expectations, you see, he would never have the chance to exceed them. Mary and Martha expected a healing, and Jesus planned a resurrection. What they wanted was good, but what he planned was way better. So if you came here today with a heavy, waiting heart, I want you to see that if God gave it to you right now, just because you asked for it, you'd be missing out greatly on something so much better that he had planned for you. So Jesus looks at the ladies. He's standing outside the tomb and he says, roll away the stone. Let's read verses 43 and 44. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out. His hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. <laughs> God did not give them what he expected. He exceeded their expectations. I want you to understand that God's delays are not necessarily God's denials. You're just in the waiting zone. With God, a waiting season's never a wasted season. Maybe God wants to do something in you before he does something for you. And if God always did what you expected, he'd never have the opportunity to exceed your expectations. Just because you're not married now and you want to be doesn't mean God's not preparing an amazing person for you. Just because your marriage isn't good right now doesn't mean that you're not going to find intimacy in your marriage far better than you ever dreamed possible. Just because your child isn't serving Jesus right now doesn't mean that one day your child isn't going to become a missionary serving Jesus in the workplace or overseas or wherever God has them land. What I'm really trying to say is you may wake up and realize one day that the scene of your greatest disappointment may become the setting for God's greatest miracle. Or that the thing that you never even wanted becomes a thing that God uses to reveal his goodness and plans for you beyond your greatest expectations. Pastor Troy, our lead pastor, if you don't know him, and my dad, um, has written a few really, really good books. If you haven't read them, I encourage you to get them. But I was flipping through them, and I, I found a short story that he included in one of his books. And I just thought, this is perfect for tonight. I want to read this short story to you. A man was trapped in his house during a flood. He began praying to God to rescue him. He had a vision in his head of God's hand reaching down from heaven and lifting him to safety. The water started to rise in his house. His neighbor urged him to leave and offered him a ride to safety. The man yelled, I'm waiting on God to save me. The neighbor then drove off in his pickup truck. The man continued to pray and hold on to his vision. As the water began rising in his house, he had to climb up on the roof. 
A boat came by with some people heading to safe ground. They yelled at the man to grab a rope that they were ready to throw at him. He told them, I'm waiting for God to save me. They shook their heads and moved on. The man continued to pray, believing with all his heart that he would be saved by God. The floodwaters continued to rise. A helicopter flew by and a voice came over the loudspeaker, offering to lower a ladder and take him off the roof. The man waved the helicopter away, shouting, I'm waiting for God to save me. The helicopter left. The flooding water came over the roof and caught him up and swept him away and he drowned. When he reached heaven, he asked, God, why did you not save me? I believed in you with all my heart. Why did you let me drown? God replied, I sent you a pickup truck, a boat, and a helicopter, and you refused all of them. What else could I have possibly done for you? Church, if you're in a season of waiting, be on the lookout because I believe your pickup truck, your lifeboat, your helicopter, and your miracle are on the way. Would you close your eyes? Father, you have been so good to us. And I really believe that the majority of people in here don't have an issue with their faith. But it's still hard in the waiting season. See, we, we believe that you're going to do it. We know that you can. We just don't know how and we don't know when. And it just aches in us. God, why haven't you done something? Is how we feel every single day. So God, I pray for my church family. I pray, God, that you would give them a sense of strength and encouragement and confidence in you in this season of waiting. God, that we wouldn't just look at this season and say, why haven't you done something? But we would remember what you've done for us in the past and believe that you will do it again. Lord, you have come through for us so many times. And so, God, I pray that even in this waiting season, we would choose to be a walking, living, breathing testimony of what you've already done, God. And we would cling to your hope. God, give us strength. We love you. And we trust you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. At the beginning, I told you, Jesus doesn't mind making us wait. But you know the opposite is true. Jesus doesn't mind waiting. And I wonder if there's someone in here who Jesus has been waiting on. Maybe you didn't know who he was until today. Or maybe you've known about him and he's been pressing on your heart, but you still haven't taken that next step and fully given your life to him. I would be honored if you would indulge me in leading you in a 15-second prayer that could change your life forever. So church, I'll have everyone close their eyes once more, please. And if you're ready to give your heart to Jesus, that's here, that's in Modesto, that's watching online, either live now or, or days later, if you're ready to put your hope in something reliable for the first time, then repeat this after me. And, and you know what? I'm going to ask the rest of our church family to repeat this out loud so we can just build confidence in our neighbors tonight. Jesus, forgive me. I know I'm a sinner. I know I'm lost. And I know I can't do this without you. 
I ask you to be the Lord of my life. I give you my plans. I give you my future. And I choose to follow you for the rest of my days. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we just welcome our new church family? Come on, hallelujah. Praise God. Let me bless you before you go. Child of God, may the confidence of Jesus stand taller than your every insecurity. May a hedge of protection shield you from every attack of the enemy. May the truth of God correct every word spoken against you. And may you know your worth and your calling in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, also, if you have kids that were in the Kitty College performance, don't forget to thank Miss Bonnie and her team. They are amazing. Have a great night. God bless you. You're dismissed.